Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. For the next two weeks, I want to talk about something that's been referred to multiple times today already. And it's this thing of fear. Because fear is in each and every one of us. We don't like to admit it. No one in here wants to be known as a scaredy cat. I mean, that was like an insult of all insults when I was a kid. How dare you say I'm a scaredy cat? Let me ask this question. How many of you get scared really easily? Anyone? Okay. Make a note of that and go up and spook them today. I'm joking. Uh, some of us are that way. You know, you're the type that someone can just be standing right next to you and just go, boom, like that. And you're like, oh, you know. I, you don't want to be a scaredy cat like that about everything in life. Okay? None of us do. And it's important for us to think about this because fear has so much a part of our everyday life, we need to confront a biblical view on it. We don't like to admit that we're fearful of just really ridiculous things. When I was a child... There was one thing, one individual that caused countless nightmares for me. And I'm about to be brave and put his picture up on the screen right now. (laughs) I had nightmares of the count from Sesame Street. I mean, he'd be there doing his, ah, ah, ah. And I couldn't scream. You know those, those dreams he had, the nightmares where you're like, and nothing's coming out. The count caused it. You know, none of us want to admit that we have Fears like that of things that are just crazy or weird. But what is fear? What is fear? I have a simple definition that I want to refer to this week and next week as we talk a little bit about this. This was a great definition I got on it. It Fear is a feeling that is induced by perceived danger or threat that occurs in certain types of organisms, us being humans, so humans. It's a perceived danger, a perceived threat. We think it's something bad. We think it's something that's going to destroy us or whatever. And so we perceive it, therefore we get this feeling built in up, inside of us of fear. And it controls us. It controls many of us. It it doesn't mean that what we're actually scared of, we should be scared of, but we perceive it that it's something we need to be scared of. Now, several years ago, there was a television show that I used to watch, and I was amused by it. It was called Total Blackout. In Total Blackout, they would put people in these dark rooms. They had cameras that were night vision, so you could see them. And people would have to, like, put their hands into things. There's actually this fish tank, and it was a teddy bear with water in there. And they would have this person who can't see anything put their hand in there, and they had to explain what they were feeling. And, of course, they're, like, terrified that they're, like, putting their hand into something of tarantulas or something. And they're, like, putting their hand in, and it's a teddy bear. And the woman would freak out, oh, my goodness. Why? Because she's perceiving something is worse than what it really is. She made something significantly worse. Therefore, she's perceived. Therefore, she has this feeling of fear, even if it was a cute little teddy bear in an aquarium. Yet many of us do this every day. We do this every day. I want you to write something down on your bulletin if you have a bulletin. If not, you can just think of it or type it on your phone or whatever. But what are you really afraid of? 
What are you really afraid of? Everyone in here is afraid of something. Okay? What are you really afraid of? I want you to write that down for a moment. Take 15 seconds. I'm going to stand up here and just stare intently. Hopefully that's not what you're afraid of. But what am I really afraid of? If I'm being really honest, what am I really afraid of? What scares me? What do I perceive as dangerous? It may not be, but what do I perceive something dangerous? Now that you've written that down or thought of what that is, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you wrote down others or people? That's exactly what I thought. And I'm going to talk about for the rest of this morning the biggest fear I will bet that everyone in here has but just hasn't really thought about it is others. Anthrophobia, fear of people. And I'm going to explain why I think that is. And I, we're going to take a look at Matthew 10 in just a moment as to what Jesus has to say about that. I believe that deep down inside, each of us struggle with an un bearable fear of other individuals, other people. And according to the scripture, it's ridiculous because we're going to have to have a perspective change. Now, students in here, uh, especially those of you in middle and high school and uh, intermediate school, you are being raised in a generation of kids who have anxiety issues unlike what we have ever seen before. Your friends, and maybe you struggle with anxiety, fear, perceived dangers, and it controls you. It controls, you're afraid you're not going to, if you're, when you get old enough and you get onto social media, people are terrified that people don't like things that they put on social media, and they lose sleep over this. This has been a concept in some of the movies I know I've watched with my kids, like a run's gone wrong or or Ralph Breaks the Internet. It, it, these are kids' movies, but they get at a concept where people, children, are afraid that people won't like them enough, that they won't be funny enough or acceptable enough. And so fear of people is significant for us. We need to think about it. And kids in here, this is very much true for you. We need to get a biblical perspective on fear. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10. We're going to have it up on the screen. You can open your Bible to it, or there is a QR code in the bulletin that you can follow along. It'll take you to Bible.com and uh, has also the notes in there. Jesus is getting ready to send out his 12 disciples. Uh, they've been sitting and watching him and helping him in his ministry, and now it's time for him to release them on their first ever ministry trip. And so, Matthew 10, he's giving them final instructions. Here's what you are to do. Here's how you're supposed to go about and minister. You're going to do so in pairs. And he's giving them that last rah, rah, rah pep talk before they go off. And before he sends them off, he says some words that I don't want us to just lightly skim over and think, well, that was just for the disciples. This is for us too. Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, have no fear of people that reject you. Have no fear, people, that you go into the town and they try to throw you out of there. Don't fear them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, my disciples, say it in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now, what are we talking about here? Okay, 
Jesus is saying this. Up to this point, Jesus has told the disciples, hey, me being the Messiah, I'm not really broadcasting that loudly and just strutting into town and telling everybody, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, and holding up signs and all this. I've kept it and told you all, let's not be sharing that openly and really strongly publicly. At this point, it changes. Jesus says, go ahead, broadcast that I am the Messiah, that I am coming to spread the gospel, that this is why I am here. And he says, don't fear the people that are going to look at you and threaten you or hate you or not like you or kick you out of their towns. Don't fear them. And then we come to verse 28, which is incredibly important. And this circle, underline, memorize, whatever this verse, because this was a transformative one for me. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, instead... Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus says, don't be afraid of the people that reject you. In fact, don't be afraid of people that the worst they can do is kill you. Now, is there anyone up here in here today that's like, oh, I don't mind being killed by somebody? Anyone? Takers? Anyone? No, exactly. That sounds pretty extreme to us. Really? I shouldn't fear somebody who can kill me? And that's where Jesus then puts it in their perspective. You may go in. They may threaten to kill you. They may try to kill you. That seems bad to us as humans here. You know what's worse? Being thrust into the hands of an eternal God who has the ability to destroy your soul and send you to a place such as hell. Your eternity is in his hands. All of us. Our eternity is in his hands. So tell me, which one should you fear more? The one that's going to take this life that's temporary to begin with from you or the one that holds your eternity for all time? Jesus gives them a perspective change. You're going to go into towns. You're going to be rejected. You're going to declare that I am coming. The kingdom of God is coming, disciples. And they're going to reject you, threaten you, you know, say all sorts of nasty things about you. But you know what's worse is that you fear them instead of fearing me. Instead of fearing God the Father. That is worse. Jesus, in effect, says, you know what, disciples? Get your fear in gear. Get the right fear. And the fear of people is not the right fear. Psalm 118.6, we'll look at this a little bit later. It came to mind when I was going through this verse. Because uh, Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now we're hearing some horrific stuff of what humans can do on the news. Over in uh, Israel and, and some of the stuff that is going on there, and even in the Ukraine and all that's been going on, there's some horrible, inhumane stuff going on. I'm not trying to minimize this. But we are eternal beings. Fear God above what humans may do to one another. Fear God above all things. Verse 29, Jesus goes on to the disciples. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And for some of us, that's going down every day. And I include myself in that. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than sparrows. Jesus says this. You know what? <laughs> These insignificant birds are go for a penny. 
That's not a whole lot. And yet, and yet, God provides for birds that are worth all of a penny. If he's doing that for them, how much more is he doing it for you? How much more is he concerned about you? How much more does he care about you? How much more does he know every detail of your life, including the numbers on your head, or the number of hairs on your head? That's how much he loves you. High school relationships I got to watch all the time as a youth pastor. They were so cute. Cute. Uh, You know, they're writing their little notes to one another. Of course, now they're texting because we didn't have texting back then. But uh, they're writing their little notes to one another. And, you know, you ask a a boy about his girlfriend. And, yeah, just like the way that, you know, when she's really thinking, she, like, puts her fingers through her hair like that. You know, and, and you ask the girl about him. Oh, he's got this cute little twinkle in his eyebrow that raises every time he thinks I'm cute and all this. Okay, we're talking details here. <laughs> really? You notice all that stuff? As, as petty as high school love can be, they've studied that person. They've studied details of their life. They've observed things that everyone else doesn't think anything about. But because you have that invested love in that person... You're noticing all those wonderful things. How much more is that for God? What does that say? He knows the numbers of our head because he loves you. He cares for you. He provides for you. He's the one you need to care about. Jesus says this, if sparrows are a penny worth of sparrows don't fall to the ground because God has them, how much more does he love you? How much more does he care for you? Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than sparrows. And then he closes off, verse 32 to 33, and says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me, whoever associates and says, my fear is in God, not in other human beings. Whoever associates with me, why on earth would I fear human beings? If I, if I am afraid of God, why would I care about what other human beings may do or think about me? When I put people over God and I fear more about my reputation or what people think about my lawn or anything of that nature, that's how petty we can get with this. When I put that above God, I show contempt for the love of God and contempt for the sovereignty of God in my life. God cares for each and every one of us intimately. There is no breath that we take that he is not aware of or that he didn't give to you. The breath you are breathing right now is given to you by God. Every heartbeat is a gift from him because he could take it like that. There's no choice that you can make in your life that is beyond his intervention. There is no harsh word said to us that God doesn't say, I love you and you are my child. There is no harm done against us that God can't intervene or vindicate us of. And there is no life broken beyond his ability. Your life cannot be broken above his ability to heal it and to use it to heal other people. Nothing is too hard for our God. That's the God that loves you. That's the one we should fear. That's the one that we should focus on, not other human beings. 
And that brings this up. Well, then, Dan, you talk about fear of other human beings. I'm not going around afraid of the people in this room. Let me spell it a little bit for you what the fear of others looks like. I mentioned a second ago, sometimes I, I know people who have obsessed on cleaning their house because they're so terrified of what people might say or think if they walk into their house and it's, there's one thing out of place. And you may say, that's petty. That's just they want a good reputation. They're afraid of the judgment and valuation of another person. They perceive that that will be the end of the world. We fear other human beings when we struggle with the fear of rejection. We are afraid to try things because we may fail. Or people may not like us and they may reject us. And so we fear other people and how they value us and they reject us. We fear their opinions of us. We fear our children's opinions of us. I have seen parents who have tried to be their kid's best friend and not their parent because they're just so afraid that my kids may grow up not liking me because I had to say the word no to them. We have fear of others when we fear emotional or a physical response from them. That's partly legitimate. But when we don't make decisions or opinions or choices because we fear that, even if it's the right thing we're trying to do, we fear people. We fear people when we become codependent upon others, when we need them to live. We need to sense and have this point of value in their life. When we try to people please, even at work, when we want to be the one that everyone in our job loves, our bosses love us and we're just afraid of getting one reprimand from our boss. Or we just say what everybody wants us to say and not because we believe it, but because we're afraid that they're not going to like us anymore. Peer pressure. Oh, that's just for teenagers. Right? Wrong. I've said this, since I've left youth ministry so many years ago, I've been amazed at how much I see adults act just like teenagers. It just sounds a little different. Fear of exposure, fear of being exposed. This is called the imposter syndrome. We're afraid that we are putting out this uh, image of ourselves that people are going to find out is all surface and it's not real. Imposter syndrome, uh, self-guessing, uh, we second-guessing ourselves. We don't really give our opinion because, or we, whenever we put out our opinion, we're like, "But I might be wrong. But I might be wrong. But I might be wrong." And we're afraid to take a stand on what we really believe, and so we second-guess ourselves because we're afraid others are smarter than us. We're easily embarrassed. Oh man, I just embarrassed myself. Everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. They're going to think I don't have any intelligence whatsoever. We withdraw from others because we're afraid of what they'll do to us. We act out of threat. These are examples of being afraid of other people. And I would put my bottom dollar down if I was a betting man. Every single one of us has feared people in one of these ways. This isn't the end of the list. We could add on to this. In the book... When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welsh, I recommend that book. It was very, very meaningful for me. Ed Welsh said that there's three things that we fear the most of other people. That others can expose and humiliate us. That others can reject, ridicule, and despise us. Or that they can hunt, attack, and threaten us. 
Expose and humiliate us. We are afraid to be exposed or humiliated in front of everyone for everyone to see. We're afraid of being rejected and not liked. We don't go to a church where we don't fit in or we don't go to a whatever. Uh, we don't have a pastime that we'll go do with people that are going to reject us or be ridiculing us. They just make fun of us constantly. And we don't want to be hunt, attacked, or threatened. And these are the three biggest ways that we all fear people. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. I'll be a personally, I'll be honest, just very candid. Walking into a new church as a pastor, guess what? You go through this. It's easy for pastors to become people pleasers. It's easy for us to not speak our opinions, even if we know it's the right thing. And tell me, you know, there's a pastor that joked about this. He said, you know why they put pastors on a stage, right? So everybody has a better shot. <laughs> there's a reason that many pastors live in fear and anxiety of the people that they're leading. They wrestle with this too. We all fear people, yet Jesus says, don't fear people. They can kill you at their worst. <laughs> fear the one who your soul, your eternity is in his hands. That's who we should fear. All of these things that we listed, they prioritize that people are more important, God is less important. And that brings us to our point here. Uh, the point this morning is that fear of others is a nearsighted distraction. Nearsighted distraction. Some of us are nearsighted. I am one of them. I have my contacts in. I can see things really good right here. But when things start getting back, and like even the, like we have the words projected on the back wall there, I have to, I have, if I didn't have my contacts in, I'd be doing this. And you're like, what is wrong with Dan? I have to squint down. I have no problem seeing what's in front of me. I do have a problem seeing what's far away. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. Why are you fearing humans? Humans are here. They're living as long as you. Fear eternal God. Fear what he thinks of you. His valuation of you. His valuation of your sin, your struggle. That's the bigger perspective but when I get focused on people, I have nearsightedness. I have nearsightedness. These appear bigger than God. Now, little movie uh, uh, insight for you here. Um, I have taught my kids this well. We like to watch movies, and at times we'll point out stuff about how they make movies. And there is a uh, thing that they do in several different movies that some of you have seen uh, and it is called forced perspective. Now, some ways that you've seen that is this, the Ames room. These men are the exact same height. But because of the way that they've painted the room and they formed the walls and all this, it appears as though one is taller than the other. The guy in the, uh, on uh, this side uh, right there is actually further back than this guy. But because of the way they painted the room and angled the wall, it looks like he's huge. You've seen this in, by the way, Christmas is coming, Elf. Elf, they have this appearance of him that he's huge compared to all of these kids. And it's kind of hard to see up here, but up here, you can see that he was actually about 10 feet in front of them. And the way they angled the desks and all of this makes him appear larger than what he is. This is called forced perspective. 
And many of us live with forced perspective. We make humans bigger than they really are and really should be. We idolize other human beings. We see them as the biggest threat to our life instead of God. We see them as the ones to be afraid of rather than God. And we focus on them and we want so much their validation and their value and and all of those things more than God because we've made them bigger than what they really are. We've made them bigger than what they really are. Psalm 118, verse 6 through 9, says this. And I say these as encouraging words as we begin to wrap up. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who, what? Hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes, leaders. What can a human do to you? Death is not fun. The thought of being killed for what you believe in is not fun. But how great are the fear we should have of a sovereign God who holds the world in his hands, who loves you desperately, knows the amount of hair on your head and knows when you go to sleep and when you rise, knows the number of days that you have, how much greater you should fear this God and take refuge in him. David wrote this. And if there was a person who knew about the fear of man, it was David because he spent years running from a king who just sought to kill him. And here he writes, I will take refuge in the Lord. What can man do to me? Another thing about Psalm 118. Uh, Diane, could you put that back up, Psalm 118? This was uh, used... uh, at two times of significance, one of which we recognize this morning. This psalm was sung during the triumphal entry of Jesus as he entered the city. This was very common that when foreigners would come back for Passover and so on, they would sing this song. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will put my refuge in the Lord. You know when else it was sung? Just a little time after that. It's believed that most likely this is the song that was sung at the Last Supper before they went off to the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples singing about, who should I fear? My refuge is in the Lord. They sing this and then they scatter. Not much long, longer after that. A fear of man took them over. I don't say that, though. I'm perfect at this. I'm saying about that is, isn't it ironic that sometimes we sing songs here at church that we don't really believe? Did you hear that? We sing songs and say we believe them, and then we walk out the door and we don't even act it. Fear of man is nothing. We have a great God who stands behind us. We just sang Angel Armies. One of my favorite characters growing up in cartoons was the Chicken Hawk from, uh, from Looney Tunes. Do you remember the Chicken Hawk, the little guy? 
And I'll never forget one of the episodes I saw, and I can never find this one anywhere, was the chicken hawk went around and tried to pick a fight with a bunch of bigger birds, and they're like looking at him and laughing at him, and they're at one point getting ready to beat him senseless. And then all of a sudden they look in fear, they cower, and they run away, and the chicken hawk is there like, yeah, I did it, woohoo! And then he turns around and he bumps into someone, his dad. And that has stuck with me about how many times I tried to flex how much I try to be strong and say, I can do this, I don't need anyone. And I overcome and I forget that it's not because of my own strength, it's because I have the God of angel armies on my side who is helping me to stand and to overcome. That is who we must fear. You want to beat this fear of humans? Well, it comes down to we need to focus on growing in the fear of God. And that's a challenge for you and for me. We have to focus on what fear of God is again. Get our perspective corrected. Put our fear in the one who rules our world, the one that our eternity is in his hands. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. That means if we don't have a proper perspective of the fear of God, we are fools. Fools. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Our fear of God grows three different ways. One is when we stop rushing our relationship with God. Stop rushing our quiet time. Stop rushing through songs that we sing. Stop rushing through sermons that we hear and we're like, okay, got it, move on. But spending the time to get our perspective of how great and how big and how powerful our God is. The days of history are in his hands, not mine and not a government. His hands, stop, focus on his sovereignty, his goodness, his greatness. Pay attention to the detail. Years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Barcelona. In Barcelona, there is this massive church that, no lie, it's been a construction project for over 100 years. It's Sagrada de Familia. This place is massive, and it is this incredible piece of artwork, not just a building. And, you know, you can look at, like, the one picture over here, and it just looks like a mess, a glob of stuff thrown together. It looks like an art project from a kid. But when you begin to focus in, you begin to pay attention to certain things, you see biblical scenes are interspersed throughout it. If I just go and look at it from a distance and I don't spend the time looking for things, I miss the detail. And it is the same thing with God. When I am spending my time with him, when I am singing songs about him, when I am going about my life, you better believe I better be paying attention to detail. You better be paying attention to detail. That's how we grow in our fear of God. A second way we grow in our fear of God is just rekindling our understanding of him. There's a lot of different ways we rekindle our understanding of him. The word of God is a big one. Going through things we haven't read in a long time. I read through Second Peter this past week when we were down in uh, the Dominican Republic. And it, it just comes back to life to me. It rekindles my understanding of God. But only, not just that, you can go out into nature. We're getting ready to get to color time where all the leaves are going to be changing. Go out, experience God in his creation. Get a deeper understanding of him through worship. Pick a song for your week that you're going to sing every day, whether your spouse wants to hear it or not, and reflect one verse every day. Think of it throughout the day. 
Rekindle your understanding of him. Spend time meditating on his word. You also grow in your fear of God a third way, which is remembering our fate without him. You were saved. If you have committed your life to Jesus, you have been saved from the wrath of almighty God. A wrath that can doom the world to a place that we know as hell. And he saved you. If that doesn't stir up a fear of God again in your heart, I don't know what else will. It does it to me. Fear of God over fear of man. Let's get our perspective right. Because as Oswald Chambers once said, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Fear God, nothing can touch you. Don't fear God, you're scared of everything. Let's pray. God, um, I ask that this stirs up people's thoughts. Lord, you know the reason that this is so significant in my own life, my struggles with insignificance, my struggle with people-pleasing. And Lord, I know I'm not alone in here today. I ask you would help us to get this perspective of Matthew 10, 28, of fearing God, not humans. Humans can do bad things to us, but not nearly, not nearly anything compared to eternal God. Lord, help us to grow in the fear and wisdom of the Lord in the, our times of worship this week, in our times of Bible study, in our times just enjoying your presence. Help us not to just go through routine, but for us to, to grow in our understanding of God to grow in our understanding of your goodness, to grow in our understanding of your favor. And Lord, may it transform. May people become smaller and smaller and smaller to us again. And may you only become greater and greater and greater. And we put our confidence and refuge in almighty God's hands, not the humans around us. God, we love you. If there is anyone here today, Lord, who has not made that decision to follow you, to commit their lives, to turn from sin and ask you to forgive them of their sins, that today would be the day that they say, I am throwing my future into the hand of sovereign God, and I am turning my life over to him and turning from a life of sin that I may follow him the rest of my days. Lord, may today be that day that they would not hold back any more but throw themselves in your hands and may you save them. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer requests into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.